cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com on a Thursday morning. It's the 25th of August and we get our teeth into the big stories of the week in the burning platform. It's our opportunity and yours to bring up all the big stories that you want to talk about, all the things that are happening in the news, and to talk to some people who have valuable insights and who can give us some really useful information so that when we get to the coffee machine today at work or when we bump into someone we know, we can sound like we know what we're talking about. So... Here it is. Let's get straight into it. This morning, Pumi and I have some really cool guests. Um, Pums, the first among these is someone who's new to the show and someone I've been uh, very pleased to to have on this morning because, as I said, I read uh, his book not so long ago about his father. So his name is Lucanio Calata. He is, of course, a journalist and author, has worked as a TV news correspondent, a radio presenter and an actor. His father, Fort Calata was a victim of assassination in 1985 by the apartheid government when Lucanio was just three years old. He was one of the famous Craddock Four. He was raised by his grandfather, Reverend James Kalata, who was well known as an ANC Secretary General and also a Ravonia trialist. So Lucanio has, uh, has good credentials. He has uh, really, really strong struggle blood flowing through his veins. And he is one of the SABC8, so in his own lifetime, he has been someone who stood up to the public broadcaster against the censorship that was imposed by Claudie Mutsuaneng, remember all those years ago, um, and the capture of the newsroom. And he's currently the politics editor at Newsroom Africa. So, Lucanio, it's a great pleasure to have you on the show this morning, and thank you for making time for us. Gareth, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate you inviting me and uh, for making this space. No, have me on. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you in. And really, your, your book about your father was absolutely incredible. I read it last year. And I think we tried to get hold of you then, but maybe you were busy with Newsroom Africa. and you, I, I can't remember what happened. But nonetheless, we can get into some of that this morning as well. So congrats on all of the successes that, uh, that have happened since you stood up to the SABC. We're going to talk a little bit about whistleblowing later on. It's actually something that our other guest brought up when um, we were talking just a couple of days ago. His name is Soli Mueng. He is well-known to our audience here at cliffcentral.com. He's the founder of Don Valley Reputation Managers, as well as a freelance writer and a columnist. And he's a regular favorite on the Burning Platform and sometimes gets censored for his views by Twitter, but always rises to the top afterwards. Soli Mueng, nice to see you, Soli. Hello, guys. I'm very happy to be here. And nice to see Kalade Lukanya again. Oh, very good. Hi, Hi Soli. It's good to see you, too. Yeah. So, guys, let's just talk about uh, whistleblowers. I know that um, Tuesday marked the day, uh, the anniversary of the death of um, Fakey Mentor, who, of course, is... No. Yes. Babita. And Babita. Babita. Both of them. Both Fakie, of them, Pumi. Fakey died two days ago. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Fakey died. Yes, Fakey <laughs> died two days ago, and it's the anniversary of Babita's uh, death. These two both famous whistleblowers... So I think it's an appropriate week for us to be talking a little bit about this because, um, as we know, and he was meant to be a part of the, the story this morning, um, but, but Athel, who we've had on the show before, Pumi, um, Athel Williams, who is, is famously trying to get some kind of justice for all the people who were part of state capture and himself has, has, to ta- has to, had to take cover and uh, at his own cost try to find some sort of protection against his whistleblowing. Um, he's unable to join us this morning, but I was I was hoping that he would be part of the conversation today too. 
about whistleblowers. It seems that there are lots of brave people in South Africa who are willing to stand up, as you did, Lucanio, as you have too, Solly, in many occasions and, and circumstances. Um, but there's no protection given to these people whatsoever. Once you do this, you're on your own, right? Yeah, it really can I mean, look, there are, there are different kinds of whistleblowers. We talk about the ones who, whose whistle we hear, we know about, who write books, who appear on TV, but there are many, many others who I call them, um, you know, corruption saboteur, who quietly refuse to sign a document, who quietly whisper to somebody, or even they, they, some of them even resign from jobs and do bad things. We don't hear about them. Some of them are hiding, uh, but they're happy that the stuff that they refuse to, to, to allow to happen didn't happen after they left because they put an obstacles in place. And we should celebrate all of those people, not mm. just the ones that we read about and we, we, we see on TV every day. Well, Lucanio, famously, I mean, you, you were one of the SABC8 and it couldn't have been easy to stand up to someone who was as demonstrative as, as Claudio Mutsuaneng was at the time. And, of course, we know some horrible things happened to the SABC8. Uh, yeah, Gareth, some really terrible things uh, happened to us. And I think the worst of them was the death of Suna Fenta. Yes. And how the lead up to her death, you know, was marked by kidnappings, was marked by, uh, you know, uh, her the cars, uh, the tires of her car being slashed, was marked by fear and intimidation and harassment. And, you know, I think all of us at one stage, we had received death threats. And I can tell you that there's nothing as bad as, as, as receiving a death threat. While it may not necessarily, for me at least, while it wasn't that bad for me personally, mm -hmm. there's always the thing that, you know, I have, I, had a, I have a son who was about four or five years old at the time. I had a wife. Yeah. I, I, and, and what scared me the most was how these guys could potentially uh, harm my family as they, you know, were trying to, 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 to silence me and all of that. So for me, that was the scary part. And, the, you know, the, 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 the other thing that was bad was that there was absolutely no, no support from the police. None whatsoever. You know, other than the day that we received a phone call to say, we heard that you received death threats, you know, there was nothing else. I had never communicated with the police ever again. They never called to check in. They never did anything, uh, even though they were fully aware of the fact that we had received death threats. Maybe just even before we continue, continue further down this because the, the idea of whistleblowing and we know the intimidation that a lot of people have been faced with and it's been spoken about and written about but maybe just to take some of our listeners back Lucanio to, to 2016 and wh what happened with you guys and your finally standing up and your famous now famous open letter so those of those of the people who haven't heard about it can hear about that, if you can take us back to that. All right, uh, I appreciate that. So look, there was, the censorship at the SABC had really started, for me at least, had really started around 2014, where you know we weren't allowed, for instance, to use footage related to the EFF and their famous 
moment in Parliament when they, you know, when they stood next to their desks and they were chanting, pay back the money. Mm. So it started, uh, for me, it really started after that event in, in, in the National Assembly. And then slowly but surely, throughout 2015, there were, you know, nuggets, nuggets here. No, you can't do this story. No, you can't talk to this person. No, we can't show these visuals. No, we can't, we can't play this audio and we can't do all of these things. But it really obviously came to a head in 2016, um, you know, around about May, uh, June, when by then, Claudio uh, Mutsuneng, who was the COO, had instituted a policy that we couldn't really show, uh, you know, violence in townships, uh, schools being burned um, in 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 Limpopo, I think. And we, at the time, we had the uh, the acting CEO Jimmy Matthews, who was someone that I really uh, respected in the industry. Mm-hmm. So on the twenty seventh of June. Uh, I woke up that morning and uh, Jimmy Matthews had, uh, you know, issued a statement in which he resigned and in which he confirmed that, you know what, the things that were happening at the SABC were wrong and he had participated in some of that wrongdoing. So for me, that really, it, it, it made me feel really uncomfortable and it, and, and it didn't sit well with me at all. And on the 27th of June, fortuitously, uh, happened to be the anniversary of the day my father and his, and his comrades um, oh, wow. disappeared and, and were killed. So I then used that opportunity, um, you know, to write this letter, to publish uh, this letter that, 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 that really asked the question, is this really what my father died for? For us to live in a in a democracy where the public broadcaster was being censored from really showing um, South Africans the real news, is this really what he died for? Now, I wasn't conscious um, about the impact that that letter would have. You know, I just thought, okay, you know, we'll we'll write this letter, and and I had assistance with it from from a friend of mine, and you know we published it and then it, it really just took on a life of its own uh i think we published the letter or we sent it off to uh, friends of mine in the industry at about 12 o'clock by two o'clock i i literally i was really just a passenger in this in 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 this letter as it took off and it became just complete and utterly viral and that obviously um, did not sit well with Saudi Mutsuneng. And he was then determined to uh, show us a thing or two about his power. And, you know, the worst thing after we were fired without ever being given an opportunity to, to, to hear our side of the story by the SABC was that I was fired on a Tuesday. Um, my son, who I said at the time was about four, of five, he fell ill the Wednesday. So I took him to the doctor. He, he didn't get better. So the, the Thursday morning, I took him to the doctor. And at the time, I mean, the SABC had medical aid and all of that, the really good medical aid. Mm-hmm. And we went to the doctor. The doctor saw my son. And as we were leaving, 
I handed the the receptionist, um, uh, you know, my medical aid card, and she swiped and she swiped, and then she told me, Mr. Kalata, I'm sorry, but your medical aid card has been declined. So within two days after we were fired by the SABC in uh, in, in July um, 2016, they had cancelled my medical aid, and I think that was for me the point where. I got really upset because, again, I was like, I'm an adult. Saudi's an adult. We can deal with our things together. But once I was unable to look after my child because of something that, that, that I know that he did, sure. it, really, it really frustrated the hell out of me, actually. Wow. What a story. I mean, it's just incredible to hear the, the personal anecdotes of, of, of them canceling your medical aid. You know, it's so spiteful. It's just, it's, it's such a uh, small thinking, but I suppose this is what, yeah. And, and I mean, these, we, we know about so many more people in South Africa who go unheard and who, who probably have been in their last moments, uh, you know, in the most terrible pain and anguish. We know about political killings in Pumalanga and KwaZulu-Natal. I mean, those people will never, will never know the full story. A lot of it happens in darkness. And uh, there are some ruthless, dangerous people in this country. You know, you, if, you, if you cross the wrong people, you could very easily find yourself in a shallow grave. You, you know, the, and for me, one of the things that is... Sorry, sorry. Utterly amazing. I, I just want to ask Sully. Sully, can you quickly go out and then come back in? Because I don't know why there was some sort of a buzz on your line. And we'll, we'll get you back in. And then it'll hopefully be a bit clearer. Sorry, Pums, you were saying? Is that, you know, so Saudi at the SAPC, whether it is board members in various state-owned enterprises mm. or CEOs and COOs, um, in the case of Papita, which we, we've now, this whole week, I think we've been hearing quite a lot of revelations of some of the things that she discovered and she was trying to stop, which ultimately led to her being killed. On the one side, it's that, right? It's those people who have that kind of political connection and the abuse that they meet out on, on just civil servants who are just trying to do their job. But what we don't speak about, and only recently have we started talking about the role of the, the, the multinationals, the Baines, the McKinsey's, and all of those guys, is how individuals who are professionals, if they have been targeted in their state-owned enterprises because of refusing to be part of the looting or any of this wrongdoing, can't get jobs even in the private sector. Because the private sector is complicit and they feel that we can't give you a job because now, you know, our client is X. And, and that's how bad it actually is, is that everybody is part of the, this ring of corruption, as it were. I think the story that comes to mind is the lady who was the CFO at um, ESCOM, mm-hmm. who also, you know, and she lost her house. Because even after she was then fired and victimized at Eskom, she couldn't get into the private sector either, even though she is done a the professional, right thing. but also a professional with a skill, with, you know, with a skill that can be used in other industries too. 
Can I just say something? I think what people yeah. don't what people don't realize is that there seems to be a blacklist that circulates in ANC circles that that has a name for names of people who should not be employed. And the, the, the sad part of it is that some members of the private sector always those who do business with government and who rely on ANC largesse, they will also adhere to that list. People suddenly people don't want to employ you, like, but why? You know, what have I done wrong? We can't touch you. Yeah. I have been through that thing. That's why I had to leave South Africa because suddenly people were not able to touch me because they were afraid to touch me. And there are many, many, many other people who are quiet. As I said, that's why it's important that we also talk about those people who are probably listening to this show, but they are afraid. We've never, people like Monobisi Kalawe, I'm mm. mentioning his name. He was the CEO of SAA at the time. That guy never even went to the, to the Zona Commission. If he were to stand on a platform and tell us what happened there, when due to me and he was there, you'd want to cry. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. And Pumi, I like what you said there too. That there's there's an there's an onus on the private sector too to take these people in and give them an opportunity, even if they are on some ANC list, as Sully puts it. Because we we want whistleblowers to come forward. We want them to to show us who the bad people are, and then we want them to show us where the money is being stolen. But we then have a responsibility to to give them the kind of security that makes it possible for other people to come forward without worrying about their bottom line. You know, I mean, yeah. Lucanio was just saying, you know, he couldn't pay the medical aid. Uh, we've heard about these people having their houses taken away. We've heard about threats to their lives, slashing of tires, all of that stuff. We're clearly not doing a very good job with whistleblowers. Well, Gareth, if I can say, you know that the onus uh, does rely uh, or does lie on the the kind of legislation that is put in place to protect uh, whistleblowers in this country. And I think the reason why there's been such a delay in getting us to that point where we say there's actually a law that guarantees whistleblowers protection and you know no one can ever be guaranteed of future employment, but at least protection um, um, from, from, from death threats, from violence, mm-hmm. uh, but also protection from, uh, you know, someone losing their home. There has to be some kind of, of mechanism that's worked into that legislation that says, if you blow the whistle and you save the state a billion rand, for instance, someone like Cynthia Stimple, who had refused to sign certain contracts at SAA during mm-hmm. Dudu Mieni's time. She saved this country billions of rands. Right. So ideally, in the legislation that is passed, there should be some, some mechanism that says, you know, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe 1% of the money that you saved the country, you will receive that as, 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 as some kind of a, some kind of a reward or some yeah. kind of a payment, <clears throat> just, I, you know, just so that you are protected. I don't imagine that yeah, there, are, I, I don't think there are a lot of people who would have a problem in South Africa with giving a reward to the whistleblowers. If we consider how much is being stolen left, right and center, if the we ANC can, does well, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's the point. The thing is, if you were to pass any legislation of that nature, who would have to pass it? The ANC still dominates in parliament. Most of the people who are incriminated in a, in a lot of stuff that's happened in South Africa are ANC people, or mm-hmm. they're linked to the African National Congress. So how do you expect these people to suddenly, suddenly turn around and reward people who speak out against them? It's not going to happen. 
It's not going to happen while the ANC is... Look at the Zonal Commission report. The president has just come out to tell us, of course, what we know, yeah. that its recommendations are not binding. But we expected something else from it. He's preparing us for something else. He's, he's trying to be president of South Africa and president of the ANC at the, at the, at the same time. And the two no longer speak to each other. Sully, have you, have you ever seen this blacklist that, um, that everybody who the ANC doesn't want everyone else to deal with is on? Have you, have you seen it or is it Look, just is it something no. that you heard about? Because, I've, I mean, you know I've you're on it. I've heard about it. I don't, you know, I've written about it as well. I, I've mm. never seen it. The thing about it is that you hear different people in different parts of the country telling you, yeah, but you are not, you are untouchable. We can't do it. I have friends who were told, if you do that, you know Soli is on the blacklist. You can't work with him. You need to remove him from your from your from your website because we see he's one of us. Your associates. I have friends who refuse to do that, but some of them were told, "Listen, if you don't refuse to remove Soli, as you then you're not going to succeed over there." But when you have two or three different organizations saying that to yourself, then there must be something. There must be conversations that are happening behind the scenes that we are not aware of. I don't know if it is a physical list. But I know that there are names that get circulated. It's not right. new. I mean, the, uh, you know, people like uh, former advocate Vusi Piccoli, mm. remember how he was chucked out of the business of, of the of that auditing firm following his removal from office. He, he had done nothing wrong. There are other people. Timber Maseko has written about it in his book. Many, many other people have been told. You can you, generally you become untouchable. How does the word circulate that you can touch that one? You can't touch one. So, so the harm that gets that gets down to people—it's not just physical violence. It's being having all doors shut at you, so that you can't survive. Your livelihood gets threatened. You can't take care of your children, your family. Mm -hmm. You lose your home, your cars, etc. And you realize that there's, there's something going on in this country, and it is going on. Hmm. One day, hopefully, hopefully, one day, will somebody will stand up and say, "Okay, this this is what has been going on." If I may add something to that, Pumi. Um, so at, at the SABC, you know, we, we knew that there was censorship, but nowhere was it written down. Uh. There was never an email that said, you can't do this, you can't do this. It was always word of mouth, always word of mouth. And then when you try to follow it back to say, but where does the, the instruction actually come from? Eventually someone will tell you, oh, well, you know, it comes from the 27th floor. Or, or, or where you know where it comes from. So, and I think it, to this point that Solly is making is that there may not necessarily be a list that's written down, mm -hmm. but there are individuals that, you know, where in discussions where it's spoken about to say, oh, okay, so Lucanio, uh, no, that one is a bad apple. You don't want him. Right. Because also if you have Lucanio, the chances of, of, of receiving further patronage, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's 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 yeah, exactly that those are going to be limited hmm. yeah including the list of people individuals Lucanio, who could not be interviewed there's no list but people knew you can't invite so and so so and so and so and so into the studio i was about to ask if that really if there was a speaking of list if there was a red list there at the sapc of analysts that you couldn't speak to so there wasn't well i i remember i mean part of the reason i had to leave and start uh, Cliff Central was because I wanted to interview it was an election year in 2014 uh, and I, I was not allowed to interview Julius Malema I, I, it was never written down it was never sent to me in an email but if I gave him any airtime 
then I would have been in trouble. And I thought, this is not right. You know, there's a, a new party. Remember, he just launched the EFF. Right. And all the attention and all the interest was on the EFF at that point. I was allowed to interview ANC people who ironically never came because they didn't have to. They felt that they were too good to, to, to do interviews. Uh, DA people, fine, no problem. Any of the others are good. But EFF, not allowed. Persona non grata. So... It is a thing, and and you're right, Lucanio. You, you you don't write these things down, otherwise you can be traced. They can figure out who yeah. sent the command, and we know that right. these commands come from up high, and those people don't want to be uh, implicated. You know, I uh, <clears throat> so shortly after we were returned to uh, work in 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 2016 in August, I had the opportunity to then you know come up to Joburg and come up to Auckland Park. And it was my first time coming to Auckland Park, and I remember walking the floors, and and people were, you know, were quite were, were warm and were very um, gracious towards me, uh, you know, and I appreciated that. And I remember walking down one of one of the floors, one of the aisles, and looking out and having this incredible view of the city of Johannesburg. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, <clears throat> if you are not grounded as a person in yourself, mm. if you are, you know, not aware of who you are um, in terms of what it is that you're capable of and what you're not and all of those things, it's easy for you, if you're running the SABC, to believe that this is your space and that you can do whatever. And I remember looking out of the window and thinking, that is probably Cloudy's problem. He thinks that because he runs the SABC and he has this beautiful view of Johannesburg, that he thinks he's this person that can do whatever he wants to with other people's lives. And, and I remember feeling quite sorry for him because I knew that ultimately there was going to come a time where... The, you know, the situation that we were in would correct itself and that he would find himself outside of that office that he occupied at the time. And I wondered where he would end up when he no longer has the protection of the African National Congress. Um, you and, know, and out of, his, out of morbid curiosity, do, does anyone on the panel know where Claudio Muntzwenang is right now and what he's doing? Well, he's, he's, he's definitely fighting. not paying us back the money he's supposed Correct. to be paid back. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. what he's doing. Yeah, that's what he's doing. He's trying to push back against the need, the order to pay back the money. I think it was 11 million rents that he took, or some, some kind of commission of sorts. No, it, no, it was a success fee. It was a success fee. Right. Yeah, that he paid himself <laughs> after he had illegally signed... Uh, the agreement between the SABC and MultiChoice, yes. uh, uh, which obviously allowed MultiChoice the archives um, uh, of mm. the SABC. Yeah, but I mean, just like uh, the gentleman from from Eskom, you know, the, it's, it's not going to keep fighting this law forever. They have now added tax, in tax interest to the amount that he pays that he owes. The longer he stays without paying it, the more he's going to end up having to pay back. They'll take his house. Who knows? Wow, <clears throat> I think no, it's uh, extraordinary. I've, had this I've, I've said this on the show before, and this is my view, right? Is that people must go to jail. People, of course. I, I want, of course, I want the money back. Of course, I want us to have our money back. That money can be spent 
mm. on so many other things that are not right. skinny jeans. But also, people must go to jail. Absolutely. <laughs> so Absolutely. over and above, because I, I, it seems to be a trend, like we see it two, two weeks ago, no, on Saturday, one of the judgments also came back of something like 134 years, one of the guys who had um, terse, you know, the, that um, UIF money that was supposed right. to have been spent right. on. Right. And he must yeah, pay back that. the money and then, you know, and, and then a it. suspended jail term. I'm like, the jail term must not no. be suspended. People yeah. must be in orange overalls. That's what absolutely. you want to see. I, absolutely. We live in a country of no consequences. And that's what I'm, I'm saying in this article, my article this week. We're saying we, people are getting away with so much. It's mm. no longer just ANC politicians, but people on the ground, people just do stuff. People throw paper, they, they break stuff. But, they, but you know, Solly, the, the really scary thing about this is it seems that we live in a country where there are no consequences, but only if you do really bad things. Like if you steal billions, then nothing happens to you. But the ordinary person is arrested by, you know, the police for, I don't know, selling drugs on the street corner or something. They go to jail and they sit in jail for a long, long time. And it seems that yeah. the smaller your crime, the more punished you will be. And the, the larger yeah. your crime and the more corruption and the more money you steal, the better off you'll be. Lucanio? Uh, Gareth, just on that, you know, I, I, I have this theory that that is a legacy, unfortunately, that we got from the apartheid days. I think when we moved over into a democracy in 1994, the thing that the ANC failed to do at the time was to hold the people who had committed crimes against our humanity right. accountable for those crimes. We gave an amnesty, right? I mean, we, we had that Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which did some things, but not enough. And I mean, in cases like your father's, no one ever paid a price for that. Exactly, Gareth. Exactly. So now we live in a country where you can kill someone or people as brutally as what they killed my father and his comrades and never be held accountable for having committed those crimes. Now, that has an impact because people see that and people act from that position to say, but hold on, if de Klerk was never held responsible for his role in the murders of the Craddock Four, why should I be held responsible for looting two billion rand mm -hmm. from VBS? Right. Because the VBS looting and some of you know state capture there is a direct link that you can draw between this impunity yeah. and the apartheid impunity it's because we never created the kind of state that says we don't care if you are uh, former president fw de clark or if you are former president jacob zuma mm -hmm. if you commit a crime in our country you will be held accountable for that okay can I, I just respond to that? Yes, of course. Go ahead, Sully. And then just, I, just I, I do want to. I do yeah. want to bring someone yeah. else on. You go ahead. Okay. Two two short things. One, look, we have a the South Africa's democracy, post-apartheid democracy, is a negotiated settlement. The details of the settlement had nobody won a war. Okay, we need to be realistic about this. Some people on both sides of the fight got away with a lot. Many people would have gone to jail for all sorts of stuff they've done. We need to to, to make people... And, 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 to, and politicians, to, to, politicians look after politicians. Unfortunately, yeah, ordinary yeah. people paid the price, but yeah. they, they never did. Yeah, it's a negotiated class. We need to make peace with that. Two, uh, 
don't think that we're committing sins or crimes because we we will learn from apartheid. I don't think that people who are doing bad things now are saying, yeah, because they cleric got away. I'm I'm sorry, I don't think so. Human beings, where you have human societies, irrespective of where you are in the world, you need regulations, you need laws, but you need also enforcement of those laws. It's not because someone did a crime that I'm going to do a crime today, because I can do it and I can get away with it. We need to have a system that says, you commit crime, you go to jail, there's a price we pay. We don't have that system and we can't blame apartheid for the crazy stuff that, that are happening in South Africa. I'm sorry, we can't do that. It's no, because sorry, we allow those things to happen. Sorry, I'm not blaming, I'm not blaming apartheid. What I, what I am saying, and I think to some extent you agree with me, is the fact that we never created the society that, that, that implements those laws, mm. that puts justice at yeah. the t as one of the top tenets of our country, that says if you had, cre if you had committed crimes under apartheid, right, you will be held responsible for those crimes so that we are able to see, so that everybody knows that if you, if you commit a crime in this country, whether it was under apartheid or under a, a democracy, you will be held accountable, period. There's no, um, there's no negotiation. There's no uh, discussion around it. If you, create, if you commit a crime, you're held accountable. That's it. I'm not saying that we're blaming apartheid. I'm just yeah, saying that so I was actually just looking I was just looking up now um because I couldn't remember the name so Santiago Rivera is 98 years old 98 yeah. years old in July 2022 mm -hmm. sentenced to 19 years imprisonment because he was part of look but at 98 years old still put under trial in Argentina mm -hmm. and he's still going to prison for the for being part of, of Pinochet I want to park this no, no, for a minute, I, everybody. Saying, I just want to bring on Ethel Williams. I mentioned earlier that he wasn't going to be able to join us. He has made a plan, and I'm oh, very grateful. Did. So, Ethel, welcome. I'm so glad that Hello, you, could, you could be a part of this discussion this morning. We've got uh, Lucanio, we've got Sully, oh. we've got Pumi, and Ethel Williams now. Ethel, it, it's been a while. I haven't spoken to you since December last year. When we talked about whistleblowing and we talked about the situation you were in, and obviously you've become a bit of a national hero since then, but it's not as if your life has got better. In many ways, it's become much, much worse. Give us an update, first of all, on how you're doing, and tell us what's, uh, what's been happening, what, what vultures have been swirling around recently. <laughs> Hi, Gareth. Morning, everyone. I, Hello. I, I, you know, strange thing, this thing about national hero, I, I keep saying, you know, don't call me a hero and then treat me like a leper. Hmm. Um, and I think we've got a bit of that going on because I still have got absolutely no support from, from any quarters, from anyone, from any business, business organization, any government department, any wealthy individual, no one. Um, and so I, um, I continue to, to live in fear I got another warning yesterday about my, my life being in danger. It's the third one I've now had. Um, and so nothing's changed except that I keep campaigning. Um, you know, I've been working um, here, continue working with authorities in South Africa, um, collaborating, providing evidence. Um, I'll be a witness when those cases go to prosecution. Um, so that's the SIU and with the NPA. Um, and, and I, I'm campaigning, speaking to the UK government, to the EU government, um, because I think that's what justice demands. It demands that you know, some of us, when you can and are able to, 
should speak up. But I think it's heartbreaking for me, and, and I don't use that word li lightly because I am heartbroken, is that our government, the presidency, the ambassador in the UK, none of these people have even reached out to me to see how I'm doing, to see how they could help. Now, you you obviously, and, and I think everybody on this panel uh, is, is, you know, we, we understand that this must be a very, very difficult time for you. Lucanio understands this in, in a very real way because he went through it with the SABC8 as well. But, Athel, I'm, I'm not surprised that our government isn't helping you. You also took on the big fish of Bain and other big international corporations who have tremendous power and money and yeah. exert enormous influence on governments all over the world. Um, have you been victim to any particularly nefarious attempts on your life or on your livelihood or anything else from those companies? And do they do it in any direct way? I mean, you know, taking on some of the, the biggest and most dangerous companies in the world, and these are the people who, who were the architects of state capture in this country. If we, if we should be pointing the finger of blame at the ANC, we should equally be pointing it at them. Um, have they made your life any more miserable in, in any way that you can actually account for? Or are they very nefarious and, and indirect and insidious about it? Yeah, it's 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 definitely indirect, um, Gareth. I look, I've I've been here for nine months now. I've been out of South Africa for nine months, so I've stopped looking for work in South Africa because that that was going nowhere. Sure. Um, so so again, despite my CV that's got twenty five years of business and you know five master's degrees from top universities, no sure. company in South Africa seemed to have any vacancies or interest in, in, in someone with my background and experience. Um, so I, right now it's more, um, it's, 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 indiscre it's more discreet. Mm. But I tell you what Bain is doing, almost by definition, for it to justify its continued existence in South Africa and elsewhere, they've got to defame me. Yeah. Because... When, when people ask questions about Bain, um, they're saying, you know, Ethel Williams says. And so Bain never addresses, and you'll see that in their press releases, their editorials, their media, yes. they never address yes. the allegations. All they do is say Ethel's, you know, got conjecture or Ethel's speculating. Um, I mean, in their documents to the Zonda Commission, they say Ethel's dishonest. They say I'm a liar. Um, and so, it's, you know, they're playing the man, not the ball. Um, and so I, it's, the damage to my reputation, I can't even tell because you know what it's like when, when you ask someone now or approach someone, you don't know why they're saying no. It could just be because they don't like me or because something else is going on. And just one last point on that, Gareth, just to, you know, the, the, this idea again of how we treat whistleblowers. We know we could, as we've done in our country, we, we would exert violence against them or we discredit them. And Kanye will know about this, but it's discrediting that goes on. And so I was shocked to hear the acting DG of Treasury on the radio um, disparaging me. And, and I think this is this, this, this connectedness where we say, why is government not acting? Why is it that Bain has got a, a board member of the Reserve Bank on its payroll? Why is it that Sassel defends Bain tooth and nail and business leadership South Africa? This is not looting, right? The Bain story, as you said, this is not about looting. Bain never looted. But Bain were at the center of the planning of state capture. Yeah. They were Zuma's consultants of choice. And so their tentacles have reached deep into our society, and they've got heavy political cover. The reason Bain continues in South Africa with all that we know 
is because they got political cover. And so again, if I'm what's standing between Bain and prosperity, and I'm standing between keeping the lid on everything they're hiding um, and, and they're coming out, then of course I'm a danger to many people. Sure. Yeah. Well, and Ethel and Lukanyo, for my question for you is for any other person that is watching or listening to the show today, where did you find the courage and how should they go about even with all of these things? Because there is no doubt that you have been patriotic. Where should they find the courage and how do you go about um, exposing what is available, particularly what is happening? I mean, particularly when the tentacles run so wide and deep. Hmm. Thank you for that question. I think for me, I have, I think, a very personal um, connection with, I think, with, with South Africa and the freedoms and the democracy that we enjoy today. My father's blood was shed for this country and this freedom that we have today. So I feel that I need to do things in a manner that honors my father, but not just him, but also Matthew Gonewe, Sparum Kontos, Selom Saudi, but also Victoria Mtlenge, Griffith Mtlenge, Noctula Similan, um, Ahmed Timo, Steve Biko, Mapetla Mohapi, you know, so I can go on and on and on because for me, I always take it back to say that there were people who sacrificed their lives for me to be here where I am today. They gave the best of themselves for me. So what I need to do every day is to give the best of myself for them. I now have a son and I'm sure some of the panel members have got kids as well. And they've got, obviously we've got a society with, with the next generation of, 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 of South Africans coming through. And we need to build the kind of South Africa that, that is, that will allow them to fulfill their potential. You see, I, I, I have this thing, uh, Pony, where everybody that succeeds, for instance, you and Gareth, Gareth leaves the SABC, he sets up Cliff Central, right? For me, that is like his success validates why I had to grow up without a father, because it means for me, my father died so that Gareth could live in South Africa where he grows up to fulfill his potential. So whenever a, a, a black child or a white child, a colored child, a Chinese child, an Indian child, or anybody in South Africa achieves something, it gives value to me because it says my father did not die in vain. So I take what I do from that perspective and everything that I do is then informed by that. Um, I know it's a little bit convoluted, but that's really uh, like my ethos in life. And, and, and it's from that perspective where I then draw my strength and my courage to do the things that I need to do. 
Ethel, I mean, would you would you do it all again? Because I know how much suffering and 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 deprivation this has brought for you and continues to. Would you do it all again, or would you say to whistleblowers, guys, I got to be honest with you. In my lowest moments, it wasn't worth it. My life was better before I did this. That's a difficult question to answer, Gareth, because it feels like the heroic thing to say is, "Oh no, I'll do it all again." Now. You know, I'll accept the wounds and the pain and the broken bones again. And and um, it's horrible going through the pain and the darkness and where I am now being removed from my family and my home and my community. So I wouldn't want to do it all again. Um, I, I do think in South Africa, it's actually unethical to encourage someone to be a whistleblower because you know they're walking into danger. And I don't think we should encourage anyone to self-harm. Um so I'm hoping that when I am called to do it again, I will do it again. But by then, we've got the right support around whistleblowers. Because right now, there's nothing. Right now, not only are you ostracized or treated with hostility, but there's actually no one backing you up. Um, and those resources are beginning to be developed in South Africa, which is encouraging. But, but generally, you, you are left on your own. And, and that's a perversity to me. Um, it's a bit what Vilkanya is saying. And for me... I, I, I take this idea of being a citizen very seriously. Um, I say I enjoy great benefits of being a citizen, but uh, there are also responsibilities of being a citizen. And, and part of that is for me to do what I can do to fulfill the promise of what our democracy is. And so that's what drives me. Mm. Um, what astounds me, I mean, absolutely astounds me, is that not many others share that view. Um, and so, you know, I thought I was walking into battle and, and you know, to my left and to my right and behind me would be, you know, brothers and sisters saying, we're with you, Ethel. Right. Um, and, and still today, still today, um, you're very few are willing to do that. Have we, have we, you, all three of you, um, you know, Lucanio, Sully and, and Ethel, you've all three uh, paid a, 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 pr- a private and a personal price. Um, two of you are currently overseas as a result of the fact that you have pissed off the ANC. Um, the ANC is weakening. We talk about this every week here on the Burning Platform. Do you think that they are sufficiently weakened at this point to be to be at a at a at a at an inflection point to to be able to be brought down with all of their networks of patronage, and notwithstanding the good things that the ANC has done, and they they are there for us to see, and we know what the ANC used to be and what a standard it used to hold itself to. But this organization is now riddled with holes like a Swiss cheese, and it's unlikely that it can repair itself. Are there any people in there that you still regard as being the, the torchbearers of, of the ANC that, that you might have looked up to at a time and, and can do whatever they can in the organization to resuscitate it? Or is it so far gone that it must now be put in the grave? That's a tough question. For me, for me, it's so so far gone. It's ethically lost the battle. Uh, I don't see anybody, any individual in the ANC who can save, who can bring to South Africa the responses that it needs in order to stand up again. I think the ANC needs to go. It's like an old energy system that needs to be decommissioned. I don't know what's going to happen in December, who's going to emerge as leader. Ramaphosa might, somebody else might. If somebody from the RIT uh, group becomes a leader, it's, it's going to precipitate the speed towards the fall. 
of the ANC, but we can't just rely on the ANC to fall. We South Africans need to organize to unite against again to to save South Africa from the ANC. South Africa there was post-colonial South Africa, post-apartheid South Africa. South Africa is desperately in need of post ANC South Africa. We can't rely on the ANC to save South Africa. We have to unite before the elections to remove it. Look, Gareth, I, I I I agree with Solly in that I think what needs to happen is that the ANC is busy dying in front of our eyes. We can we can all see it. What we need to do is that we need to relieve the ANC of that power, and then we need to allow it to go into a corner and go and die. Because if the ANC dies while it is in power, it's going to drag us as a country along with it. Yeah. Right? So what we as South Africans need to do is that we need to relieve it to say, okay, we will now relieve you of power, but we are going to allow the natural process of your death to continue. That's what we need to do. I agree. Ethel? I, I, just a slightly different um, view. I don't disagree with anything anyone said. It's, you know, my sense is the ANC is a problem, not the problem. And I've said the same of Bain and, and all the other companies involved. They are a problem, not the problem. Because I've been, I've been wondering about what's happening in our country, and the best I can understand it or describe it is an erosion of our, of our moral fabric. There's something that's been breaking and eroding over time to the point where now it's okay to just go and, and beat up a Google and, and take her pension money. It's okay to just go and, and sexually abuse a five-year-old. Um, it's okay, and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to state capture and massive corruption. Mm. So I, I worry that you know either we're going to have this bloody revolution um, and the only way to stem it is not get rid of the ANC or get rid of Bain. It's to have this moral revolution that I think we need. And, and yes, that, that stems partly from leadership of our country. But I think we as South Africans, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go as far as saying any of us would have done what Bain did. Any of us would have done what some of these people involved in corruption would have done. Hmm. Because at heart, there's the sense that there's a sense of greed, but also a sense of we don't care about the other. When, when I jump a red light in the traffic, early morning traffic, it's because I think my time's more valuable than yours. Um, for me, I saw you wanted to come in. <laughs> no, it's, it's the thing I say on the show all the time is that South Africans at our core, we are rule breakers. We don't like following the rules. We don't follow the law. So jumping the traffic lights is one of the things that we do. Uh, the relationship between a bribed policeman and the bribing driver is it's South Africans, you know? So we do have to rebuild our country uh, one person at a time. I think that all fish rot from the head. You know, there's got to be leadership. There's got to be a leader in South Africa who is able, and Nelson Mandela was able to do that to a large extent. Who's able to speak at all of us from all of us from a moral high ground right now and for too many years we haven't had a leader who was able to speak and everybody would shut down shut up and listen yeah we're not fish we are society no no no, no. but but, but the thing is, and all be, of us 
You know, I'm a brand All from a brand perspective. From a brand perspective, when the CEO misbehaves, when we say these are the brand values, and the CEO does other things, everybody will do their own thing. I'm not saying that the rest of us don't have a responsibility to take. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there's got to be in South Africa people follow the leaders, whether you like it or not. People so, just follow the leader. When you think dies, you think so well. You, of, they follow you. So speaking of following the leader, um, I mean, you know, Lucano, you're the head of a of, a, of an impressive newsroom. Um, Athel, you're always paying attention to things. Sully, I know you watch uh, every political development here with keen interest, and so does Pumi. Uh, there was a tweet from Julius Malema. Now, you could say what you like about Julius Malema, but he very seldom actually puts out false information, misinformation, disinformation. Right? And he would put out this tweet the other day about this possible um, faction that's brewing in the background of the ANC, and I can see you're already smiling, Sully, because – Interesting, Pumzilem Lambongmuka suddenly reignited re, um, her Twitter feed this week. Uh, we're hearing all kinds of stories about Tabo Mbeki in the background. Trying to, Jonas. Yeah, trying to cobble something together. Mbisi Jonas. Uh, we hear about Tito and Trevor. We hear about lots of things going on here. We know that the most important thing in politics is who pays the piper, right? Now, the ANC are going into this conference this year. They are still an important, probably the most important political faction in the country as a, as a party. Uh, what, what if there are new elements um, starting to coalesce in the ANC and those elements might have access to funding? I know Athel has put a, puts a chill up your spine because some of that funding might be from the very people who you've fingered in, in uh, the State Capture Commission. But what do you guys think of the potential of that happening? Well, I'll say something I'll keep quiet. Look, patronage is big on in South African politics. If you don't have the money, you are unlikely going to make it. That's the truth. But but it's not, I'm not surprised. There would be people in the ANC trying to create some. Look, they defend democracy campaigners. A lot of them are ANC stalwarts. But I have tried to work with a lot of these ANC stalwarts. And all they want to do is to save the ANC so that they, they have difficulties imagining South Africa without the ANC. So, of course, we'll have people saying we need to save our ANC. I'm tired of saving the ANC. South Africans need to save South Africa. As Kalajo said earlier, we need to get to a point where we relieve the ANC of the power so that we can breathe again. The ANC is like putting its neck, its, its knee on, on South Africa's neck. We need to remove that knee so that South Africa can breathe again, irrespective of who comes from the ANC. Okay. Gareth, the ANC is what? 110, 110 years old. You don't live to be 110 years old without uh, having set patterns. You know what I mean? There's, there's, exactly. there's things that you do that are completely difficult for you to turn around mm. uh, because those things are entrenched, those things are embedded. Yeah. It doesn't matter who sits at the top of the African National Congress because the structures continue to work exactly the same way that they've worked for the one for the last hundred and so years. And it's difficult to turn that thing around. So, you know, one of the questions that I've been asking, Cyril Ramaphosa has been throwing around this buzzword, renewal, renewal, renewal. Mm -hmm. And what I've been saying is, what does the plan for renewal entail? So other than telling me that we we on renewal, what are you going to practically put in place to renew the African National Congress? And I can tell you, I was at the policy conference. I asked that question every day. I never got a single answer other than the buzzword that is renewal, renewal. But how do you renew something that is 
how do you re- there's there's no so, ideological discussion you can't make you can't make sour milk uh, good again you know once it's sour it's done i suppose maybe that's what we're saying <laughs> ethel you get the last word and again thank you for making time for us i know that um, we we were talking to you at one in the morning uh, to arrange this so so thank you i, I really you know, despite all your trials and tribulations, which we are more than sympathetic to, and, and you always will have a voice here on this platform, uh, you get the last word for this morning. I, uh, you know, what, what, what Sully and Kanye describe is an old organization that needs restructuring. So maybe the ANC should get Bain in. <laughs> 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 let, me, let me close on, on a less cynical comment, perhaps. Um, uh, I, I think it is important. Um, you know, I'm 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 a philosopher, and so I'm not, I'm not a, pu- a public policy person, and I'm um, so I'm allowed to be slightly, you know, in the air. Um, but I do I do think at root, we as individuals, and, and I think whistleblowers are the example of this, and investigative journalists are examples of this. We as each individual must say, what am I going to do, right? And I think I think we've got social media makes it so easy for us to say what they must do. Look what they must do. And we're experts at that, right? But very few of us say, this is what I'm willing to do. And, you know, and, and, and I think powerful things happen when we say, hey, guys, this is what I'm doing. Um, mm. Because I think that's how we overturned apartheid, which was impossible to overturn. Right, it's people. You know, twenty thousand women marched on the union buildings. That's profound. Today we can't get even near two thousand together to take any such visionary action. Yeah. And so, for me, I think things need to happen. We're just saying I must do something, as opposed to how can I jump on this bandwagon to enjoy what the others are enjoying. Yeah. Pumi loves this because that's exactly what she says every week on the Burning Platform that it is up to you and me. So, gentlemen and Pumi, thank you so much. Uh, Lucanio, it's thank great you. to have you on the show this morning, and uh, best of luck with, with Newsroom. I think you guys are doing a terrific job to also forward great journalism, you, and uh, we hope to have you again soon. Solly, as always, you and Athel, you know you always have a place here for whatever you want to vent about, whatever issues you think you need to bring to the fore, and we'll take whatever punishment comes as a result of that, right? This is one of the places <laughs> we'll have these conversations. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pums, we will see you Thank next you, week. Thank you, gentlemen. Very good. Bye Thanks, bye. everybody. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you. Thank Thanks, Gareth. Thanks for me. Cheers all. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Cliffcentral.com.